Welcome to my dad's podcast, My Blackest Challenge National, Season 3. You can find us on anywhere you like to listen to good podcasts. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Hope you enjoy the show. Bye. listening to my black is transnational my name is dr kalechi bay lamberts and coming up on today's episode i'll be having a conversation with Ms. meckham dulce who is an, a philanthropist a social justice activist a medical student and more importantly a second generation transnational nigerian ibibio woman which we'll learn more about and why her organization which focuses on empowering young women in nigeria is a very important one and what it means for transnationals all over the world who care about the uplift of young girls, young black girls. Before we do that, let's go through our formalities. If this is your first time listening to My Black is Transnational. You can download this podcast on any of your favorite podcast listening apps. You can also subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you like to listen to your favorite podcasts, Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you like to listen to good podcasts, find us there. If you like what you hear, please subscribe. Please check out past episodes. We'd really appreciate your feedback and your reviews. Rate it five star, please, if you like what you hear. You can also follow us on Instagram at Black Transnational Podcast. You can find me, the host, on Instagram at Black Transnational underscore. We're on Facebook at Black Transnational Podcast. And you can check out our website at www blacktransnational.com slash podcast. All right. So about our guest for today, I was very intrigued by the work that she was doing. I found her on Instagram and I was really impressed by the passion that she displayed about issues about young black girls in Nigeria and young black girls here in America, um, but also how she wanted to intertwine her passion for African studies and public health into medicine So we get into a very interesting conversation about her upbringing, being born in America, but having such a strong passion for issues in Nigeria. We also talk about Ibibio, Akwaibom people. The Akwaibom tribe, the Ibibio specifically, is one that isn't really talked about as much when it comes to the Nigerian, um, the major Nigerian tribes that 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 are pretty popular or pretty well known in the country. Everyone knows about the Igbo people. Everybody knows about Yoruba people. Even people know about Hausa people. But many don't talk about Akwaibon people or Ibibio people or people from even Kalaba, which, uh, which are states um, in the, I would say, like the southeast, southwest part of Nigeria, if I'm right. Um, if I'm wrong, please correct me. But that's what I recall. So it, it's a very informative background education that we learn more about the various tribes in Nigeria that tend to be overlooked and learning more about what Ms. Udosin is doing to address issues for girls that look like her, girls that are from where she is from, uh, and how she's trying to apply her her resources and, and utilize her passion and her skills and expertise to be able to assist these young girls and try to make a difference in their lives. So it's a very, very fun conversation that we have. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I was very educated about it. And I hope that you all enjoy it as well. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Ms. Mekum Udosin. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of My Blackest Transnational. And for today's episode, we have a special guest who is a rising star who is coming up in the world, who is very passionate about social justice. She's very passionate about public health, um, specifically in the culturally diverse black community, um, does so much biomedical sciences, but also African studies. And I mean, so just balancing multiple worlds. 
but still being able to focus on her roots and her pride in Africa, Nigeria in particular. Um, so um, I know I said enough words, but I want to introduce our special guest, Mrs. Mekum Udosin. Welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. That was a great introduction, actually. That was the. <laughs> did I hype you up too much? To summarize it. <laughs> did I hype you up too much? Did I give you too many accolades? <laughs> no, I said, "Wow, I actually do a lot." You, you know, sometimes it's hard to explain um, what I do to people. When people ask me what I do, it's I, I tend to find it hard to explain because um, you know sometimes people they tend to put you in a box. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're a student in grad school or you're uh, you're into social justice or public health but um i feel like if you're passionate about different things why not you know put your hand in the different pots why stick for one thing right exactly i agree 100 percent. why limit yourself another world is already trying to limit you already so there's no need for you to right. kill, <laughs> kill two stone no at all so but yes so uh, i i i'm glad that you appreciate the introduction but i also want to allow you yourself to be able to introduce yourself to your listeners, I mean, to our listeners. Um, So I want to give you a couple moments to just say what's up to everybody. Okay, so um, my name is Mekam. It's short for Mekam Abasi, which means I thank God in Ibibio. So I'm from, my family's from Nigeria. Um, We're from a Kwaibom state. I was born here in the U.S. My parents were born and raised in Nigeria. Um, I also co-founded an organization with my mom. We um, work with girls in Nigeria. Our goal is to work with girls in different countries in Africa, adolescent girls. It's called Ibanifyuk, which means women of wisdom. Mm. And we believe in empowering women by equipping them with knowledge so that they can, you know, grow to their full potential and then also give back to their communities. Mm. That's awesome. So, you know, it's funny because I think you're like probably the first guest on this show that I can recall, even though I've had plenty of Nigerians, but I think you're the first one that, that hails from Akwaibom. So it's- Oh, really? Yeah, so shout out to that, shout out to that. Um, and then also, can you define just for those who are listening what Ibibio means? What Ibibio means? Yes. Oh, so Ibibio is an ethnic group in predominantly found in Akwaibom. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that yeah, so it's 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 very rare. So Ibibio are people who are primarily the dominant group in Aquaibom, which okay, yeah, which is part of Nigeria, which is the other group that many people don't tend to overlook because in Nigeria there's <laughs> there's the Igbo people, of course, and then there's Yoruba people, and then you have the house yes, people, yes. but then no one ever talks about Aquaibom, right? And that's like no one really. I mean, there's the only the people who know know, and then that's it. So like, how, I mean, how does that, at least from growing in, in with your family and, and all the things that you do what type of response do you get from the large nigerian community in that regard as far as being from a quiet well <laughs> that's a great question um growing up i've always had to you know when people hear my name mecham they think oh are you is that Igbo? and right. i said no are you Igbo? no yoruba no hausa no <laughs> I mean, Bibio. And then when you explain a problem, they say, oh, okay, so you mean um, Calabar, right? And I said, um, yeah, you can think about it like that because people, they associate, they associate Calabar to a Kwaibom mm-hmm. cross-river state people mm-hmm. um, when, they, when they think of Calabar, which makes sense because a Kwaibom was a part of cross-river state at some point in time. And um, Calabar was the cap- is, is still the capital of cross-river state. Mm-hmm. So um in terms of you know opportunities and education and things like that it was happening in the Calabar so people who were Ibibio, Anang, Oron, Essek, all those um ethnic groups down you know that's in that area they would be in Calabar but you know when Akwaibum split and left Cross River State Uyo now became the capital of Akwaibum mm-hmm. so now when you think Ibibio you think Uyo when you think Essek you think Calabar but we the funny thing is when people hear us speak our language, they it doesn't sound different to them, but to us, we're able to tell. Mm-hmm. And even me, I was born and raised in America, and I'm still, I still feel like I'm learning the language. But, you know, in some instances, I'm able to tell, okay, I don't really understand this, so this is probably ethic, or this is probably Oron, it's not Ibibio. So um, that's what I've had to deal with growing up. And, you know, sometimes it was kind of annoying, but I always use that opportunity to, you know, educate people, enlighten people let them know that, you know, there are so many different ethnic groups in Nigeria 
And I think because of that, it's made me, um, I always, I always try my hardest to listen to people from different backgrounds and, you know, really learn about their culture because I know what it's like to be the minority in a specific group. You know, yes, we're Nigerian, but we're all from different places and it's not always going to be Igbo, Yoruba, Hausa. That's even now I can guarantee you that what you just shared in like the fat in the past five minutes is probably more than most people knew already regarding right. those particular <laughs> areas. So like, trust me, I, we appreciate that, that education. Um, okay. So then you said that you are in, you know, I think as far as like you growing up in America as a Nigerian American and being a customizer of your roots, right? We'll, we'll, we'll touch on that part, but I really want to get into this idea of your, your background in education, like, because you went to Binghamton, right? Yeah. You graduated from mm-hmm. there. You got, you got your degree in, for those who don't know who you got a degree in Africana studies and neuro, I mean, integrative neuroscience, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> long, a long name. <laughs> yes. Right. So then, and, and this was a double major, right? Yes. Okay. So now I want to know, and then now you're currently where doing your master's? I'm at Rutgers University. Okay. So yeah, Rutgers. In New Jersey. Okay. All right. All right. Shout out to Rutgers. Um, so then how, I guess as I'm um, not to sound like a Nigerian parent, but then like, what are you going, what are you going to do with those two degrees? Like, what are, how are you going to blend all those things? What are you trying to do with your life? It's funny because that's exactly what they asked. Me. <laughs> that's why I'm laughing. I remember I called my okay. So it's funny. Um, okay, so I actually I want to be a physician. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm. Um, that's what I'm working towards now. And the funny part is I didn't. I had an idea of who I wanted to be as a, as a physician or what I wanted to do. I didn't really see myself. Um, you know, being in the being in the office or the hospital all day, mm-hmm. um, I saw myself mostly working with communities and educating people, and you know, thinking of how to address different health disparities. Even though I didn't know what it was called mm-hmm. when I was younger, I just knew that that's what I wanted to do. I just couldn't put a name to it. Right. So I declared integrative neuroscience when I got to Binghamton because I said, okay, I'm into psychology and all of that stuff, so I, I could see myself doing this. And then I took a my first public health class um, with Dr. Cora. You, I mean, you know her. Mm-hmm. So, um, if I remember being in the class and hearing her talk about all of these different things as it pertains to public health, and I said, "Oh my God, this is what I this is what I want to do as a physician. This is this is the kind of work that I want to do." Mm-hmm. So um, I started speaking with her more and. Um, she started inviting me to things and I started learning more about public health and she's a professor in the Africana studies department. And I started, um, um, I started looking into what the major, you know, was about. And I said, wow, this is stuff that I feel like I should learn because if I want to, you know, help, help communities in, in different African countries, I need to learn about, I need to learn more about the continent itself because you know, the American, the U.S. education system, all you learn about is, you know, slavery, mm-hmm. maybe salt and gold in Ghana and all of that stuff. Other mm-hmm. than that, you don't really learn anything else. So I, I wanted to learn more. So I remember I told my mom, oh, mom, you know, I'm going to declare an Africana studies major. And she was like, what are you studying Africa for? You're not African. <laughs> <laughs> like, this better, I feel that I hope this won't distract you from medicine. And I said, no, 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 it's actually helping me. And it's funny because that, that major, I feel like that major provided me with more opportunities to, um, you know, stand out and show that I would make a good physician than integrative neuroscience did, hmm. actually. Because um, through that Africana studies major, I was able to um, do, do public health research in Ghana, um, I was also able to do my honors thesis, which pertains to mental health. So all of these different opportunities that came to me was because of my Africana studies major. Mm. Wow. You know, that's real. And because, you know, most people don't think about it like that, because, again, our parents have kind of set that path and set those expectations for us. And you automatically think that once you are saying that you want to be a physician, they expect you to be doing the hard sciences. But... Mm-hmm. Like we are evolving um, as in, in in healthcare and health in general. You know, even medicine in its own right are trying. They're trying to now 
make it more, if not mandatory, but definitely making a strong recommendation for you being involved in, in the public realm and cultural competency and really understanding culture exactly. and people's backgrounds, you know? So exactly. No, that's real good foresight on your end. Uh, so then, okay, let's let's take a step and talk about you and your upbringing, right? And, and coming up, growing up in the United States, even though like your parents are, you know, from a quiet bomb and like how in your upbringing did you like realize, okay, well, like this is a little different. My upbringing, I'm really Nigerian and even though I'm just American, like, but I'm really Nigerian because of the way my parents are bringing me up. Like, how did, how did you go through that crash course of really knowing who you were as an Aquaibum person or a BBO person? Um, well, it's interesting because, um, so I was born and raised in Queens, New York, and I believe it's the most ethnically diverse county in, if not the country, if not this country, the world. Mm. Um, so we lived particularly in Richmond Hill. So it's, it's known as, I don't know if it's still known as this now, but back then it was known as Little Guyana. Okay. Um, so a huge, huge Guyanese community and not only Guyanese, but majority is Indo-Guyanese. So um, I was around, I was in that environment for a while and it really impacted me in the sense that, um, you know, all my teachers were Guyanese. Um, my babysitters were Guyanese. I even had a Guyanese accent at one point. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, I didn't know. It was actually my cousin who he came to live with us for a while. And we were talking about it in passing. And he said, yeah, you actually had a Guyanese accent until, you know, um, grandma came to live with us. And, you know, you know how grandparents have that strong influence over their grandkids, if mm -hmm. you know, if they choose to be involved. Mm -hmm. So I think once my grandma came to live with us, that's when I started um, learning more and more about the Nigerian culture. Not saying that my parents didn't, you know, teach me or anything like that. They did, but um, it because, you know, we were around Guyanese people so often. I was around people who were not Nigerian. Mm. Um, you know, that really did um, impact me. Right. So um, when we moved to another neighborhood, we moved to a neighborhood that's predominantly um, Black in the, in the sense of, um, you have Jamaicans, Haitians around, um, um, you have Guyanese people, but they identify as, you know, black, not, um, Indian. Mm. And so I was around that more. And then it's funny because when I went to my new school, they all thought I was from Jamaica because I, I guess I had that Guyanese accent. So if you have a Caribbean accent, they, they assume Jamaica, but whatever. Right, right, right. Um, <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, when my grandmother came to live with us, that's when I started learning more about the culture because then we started watching Nigerian movies. And that oh, wow. yes. that just um, that that was a game changer for me. I love Nollywood yes. to this day. I yes. mean, Nollywood really exposed me to so much. And I feel like when we went to Nigeria for the first time, well, when my, my mother took me and my brother to Nigeria for the first time, I believe it was in 2010. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. I didn't have that that culture shock or I it's it's like I already knew what to expect because of the Nollywood films because of the stories my grandmother would tell me um because of what my friends and people in church would talk about so it was like um it wasn't anything new to me I was ready to embrace it I even remember um one time we I was at my cousin's house and you know how someone's at the gate and you have to go open the gate like yeah, that um yeah, like, yeah. I was I was like, I want to open the gate. I want to open the gate because I always saw in the movies how the, yeah, how the gate man would go and open the gate. Pull, so. the, pull the thing from the bottom and then twit the little uh, le ledger from the bottom yeah, and turn I was, it. Yeah. I was like, I want to do that. I want to do it. And they were like, what is wrong with this girl? It's just a gate. But it was a big deal to me. Oh, man. So, like, you know, what I find very interesting about that is that, like, it seems like your community where you were, where you growing up like that transnational community that you are part of tend kind of like prepared you for your trip to Nigeria so like you were just right like, okay so you weren't nothing was like oh my god I've seen all oh, these roads or so like even when there was like no light like when you had to experience like Nepa and all these things you were ready that for that was too? fun for me that was fun for you Explain. But the thing is, obviously, you know, like now that I'm older, it's not like the fact that we're, you know, people have to sit in darkness mm -hmm. because they can't, they don't have steady light. That's not cool. But, you know, to me, it wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't, how do I say this? 
I guess, bratty about it. Like, mm. oh, no, I can't use my phone or my video game or whatever. We just found a way. I just found a way to, you know, adapt and, you know, just move on and, you know, try to do something else. Like, this is just how life is. There's no light, you know? Right. So. Yeah. No, that's real. I mean, I appreciate the that excitement and zeal that comes with it because, all right, so, um, like, when did you, in, in growing up in Queens, New York, like you said, it's very diverse. What was your experience as far as being African or even like for second generation uh, immigrant compared to like, you know, African-American? Like, did you notice any difference in the relationship between people that you grow up with, you know, people um, encouraging you all to work together or, or hang out together? Or what, what was that relationship like the dynamic, I should say, between um, African-Americans oh, African, in your perspective? Yeah, it's funny because I... I felt the difference. I just didn't know how to explain it or label it or convey how I felt until I got to, um, I would say, my senior year in high school or probably in college. Um, Because, you know, in college, you take all of these classes and you start Mm -hmm. learning more and more about specific things. So um, I felt that um, growing up, it's funny because I actually didn't understand the concept behind being African-American I didn't understand, like, when some when I would ask somebody, oh, where are you from? And they would say, oh, North Carolina or Texas. And I would be like, no, where where are you from? North Carolina. No, where are you from? North Carolina. Wow. So I just, I didn't, I would expect to hear, like, Haiti or um, Jamaica or Nigeria, Ghana, Kenya, you know, places like that. So I don't think I fully understood the whole idea of slavery and how that, you know, has affected um, the African-American community until I started learning about it in school, because obviously we don't talk about that at home since mm-hmm. that's not our history per se. Um, and then even in the the way that, you know, some of my friends would behave or react to certain things or, um, you know, the whole concept of um, not to say that, That's why I feel like these conversations get kind of sticky because Mm. I feel like it creates a divide against, um, uh, it creates a divide between Africans and African-Americans. Not to say that one group is better than the other. We have our differences, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but I would notice the way, um, the way that respect was shown um, in different communities. Mm-hmm. Like, I, there's no way I would be able to, you know, just tell my mom I'm going somewhere. Oh, oh I'm going to go out to this party or I'm going to go hang out with my friends. My parents don't, under, they don't understand that concept. You know, it's, it's school and that's it. Yeah. What, you need to be home by, by 4 o'clock, 3.30 even. So they never, my, um, but I would see my other friends, they could say, oh, hey, mom, I'm going to branch here after school. And they'd be like, okay, um, talk to you later or whatever. And I will just be like, huh? Like, that's it? That's all you have to do? <laughs> <laughs> like, what? <laughs> I never understood that. And then the whole, um, I guess, the, the, the family dynamic, too, as well. Like, I noticed that that was a little different. Um, in terms of religion, how, how religion plays such a huge role in our everyday mm-hmm. actions. I noticed that more in, the, um, in my Nigerian community, African community, actually, um, as opposed to, you know, my African-American friends. And I also, the oh, yes, the power of spoken word, that one was a big one. Because I remember mm-hmm. um, even, even in college, I think this song came out. Um, I don't know if you've heard it. It goes like, oh, push me to the ledge. All my friends are dead. Oh, yeah, 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 and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I remember all the Africans. We were like, huh? <laughs> yeah. Excuse me. Um, I am not dead. I'm alive in Jesus. Like, <laughs> <Amen>. what? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and, but, and, excuse me. <laughs> like, all that. We were just like, what Isn't are that you a, thinking? That's like a little Uzi song, right? I think if I remember. Uh, yeah. yeah. I remember <laughs> The thing that. is, I definitely. That's how detached I am from that song. Because I don't even want to know who wrote it, where it came from. I just, I just can't sing that. I, <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't know why. I'm just imagining somebody hearing that here, just like, over my dead buddy. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, <excuse> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> no, I noticed. I remember I was in an elevator with my friends, and one of my friends 
they I forgot who it was, but she she's not African. So she asked the lady, Oh ma'am, are you going down? And the lady is Nigerian, she said, Ah, I can never go down, I must go up and she's okay. <laughs> but she's just asking, Are you going to the second floor? So <laughs> it's just funny how serious we take spoken words. Yes. Yeah, yes. Words are powerful. Words are very powerful. Words are very <laughs> powerful in the Nigerian community. That whole thing when you read from the Bible about the power of the tongue and how and yes. yeah, yeah, they don't play around with that at all. Um, no, no, no. Man, all right. So let's let's I wanna shift now to you and your mom finding this organization and I wanna know what inspired I think it's called Ibani Fiok. Is that how it said? Yeah. Okay. Um, and what inspired you all to create this? I know we, it's focused on adolescent girls and the intention is to try to reach adolescent girls across the globe, but what inspired you all to create this organization? Um, so shout out to Africana Studies. Mm. I um, There was this opportunity my school had. Basically, they give $4,000 to a Harper College student who wants to do uh, a project that will impact the community. Um, positively. So I knew of some friends prior who applied for it and they they took the money and used it to help a community in the country in Africa where they were from. So I had someone, I knew someone who was from Uganda, Uganda who did that, someone who's from Kenya who did that, another person who's from Nigeria, she did that as well. So I said, okay, I want to do this too. So I applied for it and um, I basically explained to them what I intend to do with the money. I want to use it to help adolescent girls in my um, my mother's hometown um, because I felt that the reason why the reason part of the reason why I am where I am today is because of the positive impact women have had in my life. Mm. So I just wanted to you know use that and give back to other girls who may not necessarily have anyone telling them that you know they can still do it despite all of their circumstances. So it was supposed to be a one-time thing. It was really supposed to be a one-time thing. Really? But yeah. Um, but then after the res- we had such a we had such a great response, and by the time I knew it, we were doing more small projects here and there. And then I said, okay, at this point, um, I was talking to my mom about it, and we said, okay, if we're gonna keep doing this, we might as well, you know, make this an official thing mm-hmm. and see if we can get people to help. Um, to, you know, donate, sponsor, and things like that. Because, you know, um, it, it adds up, and you're not getting that money from the school anymore. Right, right, <laughs> so right. that's when we decided to make it official. So we we actually had our trip last year. So I, my mom, and three other girls came with us. So um, two girls were, were Nigerian, another person is from Ghana. So we all came together, and we did a trip last year. And we had we did uh, an empowerment workshop with 50 girls. Then we also visited two schools and donated sanitary pads and school supplies. Mm-hmm. And then um, this year, even though we didn't get to travel, we were able to do a COVID-19 community outreach. So we bought food um, for the villagers in a town in Aquilong. And then we also just finished a three-day workshop on gender-based violence. So we were... Um, we were creating the materials and um, creating the structure of the workshop here, and then we have a team in Nigeria that does, you know, all of the the, the man work. Okay. I mean, the manpower. Sorry. Okay. Okay, that's awesome. So then you all. So then, like, this organization started like what year again? So we we did our first workshop in 2017. Okay. So that and then we officially found founded it last year. Mm. Wow. So, all right. So then like working with adolescent girls in Nigeria and what have you noticed, you know, because I really want to, you know, we're, we're going through this phase and I've done like episodes in the past about the, the importance of this black girl magic era and what mm-hmm. it's done for young women all across the world. But I'm curious, especially when we're talking about young girls in Nigeria who might even be in like more rural, remote village areas. And some of the things that is rooted in our culture regarding gender roles and, and all and the roles of, of, of females, do you think like, is, are those things changing as far as, you know, what you all are trying to do to empower that? Have you met any resistance uh, about some of the, uh, to some of the workshops that you all are doing or some of the initiatives that you all have going on in order to, you know, put certain people in their places or anything like that? <laughs> or, or how has that been? Um, um... 
in terms of resistance, I think Oquibum, the Oquibum community is getting better with that in terms of gender roles. Okay. Like, they understand that a woman's place shouldn't just be in the in the kitchen right. um, or taking care of children, even though there are, you know, some who still feel that way. However, even though, even, like, we're not here to um, say, oh, if you're, if you only spend your time in the kitchen or taking care of children, you're not doing anything with your life. What we want them to understand is even if you do choose that, still, you still need to, still, you still need to um, build yourself up. You can't, you can't go through life and um, expect people to do things for you, right? You mm-hmm. have to, you have to create, create a way for yourself to be exposed so that you can obtain resources that will benefit you so that you can now reach out and help your community. So, um, even for some of the girls that we talk to, you know, most of them, like they, most of them, they do want to go to university and further their education. And, and some of them, some of them don't. And it's not because, um, it's not because um, they feel that, oh, well, there's nothing for me to do in school. Some of them, they want to do, you know, trades. They want to pick up a trade and like start their own business. And we said, that's fine too. Just make sure that um, just make sure you're putting yourself around people who will show you how to like expand that business if you don't necessarily want a college a college degree. It will benefit you if you do. However, if you're not able to go to university, there's always ways. There's always a way for you to. Um, there's always a way for you to um, be engaged and you know learn and um, also you know uplift yourself so that you can uplift your community. So we try to tell the girls, no matter what you do, just make sure that you're always striving to be the best that you can be. Don't sit there and be, you know, um, don't sit there and let people, don't sit there and let people confuse you or tell you, tell you all these different kinds of things that necessarily doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't add up or like add any meaning to your life. You know, just mm-hmm. um, educate yourself so that. Because when you when you're knowledgeable, when you have knowledge, you're able to feel empowered, and then you can empower other people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I completely agree. So now that's focused on what's happening in Nigeria and maybe in some parts of the states. But and since you're so into and very passionate about social justice and addressing disparities, like what are some issues here in America that really that really get, gain your attention that you really want to address and, and you're working towards trying to address when given the time and the resources. Sorry, can you repeat the question? Oh, sorry. I said, what are some things here in the United States, some issues that, that you would like to address since you're very into and passionate about social justice? What are some issues in the United States that really concern you that you would like to address if you had the resources and the time and all that? Um, that's a good question. That's actually a really good question. Um, for me, I would love to address, um, I'm very, I find myself getting very interested in how black women are treated in this country, Hmm. how, um, you know, given seeing what, seeing the whole Breonna Taylor case, how that was handled Mm -hmm. and just knowing that there are millions, I mean, there's a whole number of black women who have gone missing and no one, no, no one is really, no one really knows their story. Mm. Um, the health disparity when you, you know, you start thinking of black women, especially maternal um, mortality and all of that. I'm really, I'm just really interested in seeing how, how I can, make a change in that area i don't have to be the person spearheading it but however right. i can contribute i can you know however i can get involved i can yeah. and i will yeah yeah it's very important i mean black women all over the world are very underappreciated <clears throat> and yeah to, yeah and tend to and i mean it's it shows i mean it, and i think one of the things that i've said is that you know if we really look at what how crazy things are this year. I mean, this this year is really, if, if you want to call it a silver lining, uh, this year has really created um, the opportunity for us to really just sit back in our homes because of, you know, quarantine and stuff, but really get to see, like, 
just how underappreciated and how you know abused not necessarily physically but just in all other aspects that yes in all other aspects right ridiculous and right and even when we were doing the gender-based violence workshop we were when i was doing you know because you have before you do a workshop you have to do research Mm -hmm. and you know look into things and things like that and it's just when i was reading up on it i just it just really hurt to see you know when we're talking about you know, rape and victim blaming mm-hmm. and things like that. I see that more in the black community than any other community. Yeah. I mean, even though, you know, rape happens, raping happens, to, it can happen to anybody. However, the way that it's handled in the black community, in our own community, is, is crazy. And it's 10 times crazier in Nigeria, too, the oh, yeah. way that some people think. And it's like the way the way that you're thinking is, is slowly killing us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean... Mm-hmm. When is it going to stop? And that's why I say it's important for people to, you know, be educated on this kind of stuff. Because I remember um, one of the stories that they had told me when they finished the workshop was the girls who attended the workshop, they were on the bus talking about rape and, you know, what counts as rape, why consent is important. So they were talking about what they learned at the workshop. And the bus driver was like, ah, what what are you guys learning? Who, if, if I sleep with my wife now and she refuses, I'm not a rapist. I just want to sleep with her and the girls are like no 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 that's rape she didn't consent she didn't consent and they're really sitting there educating the bus driver on this thing and i was so happy to hear that because only god knows how many people like him think like that too Mm -hmm. so i think having these kind of discussions are really important because at the end of the day um black women we're we're being wiped out slowly and a lot of people are not noticing and they're not seeing how their actions the way that they think the way that they do things in life how that affects us that's very powerful because i i think those types of conversations need to continue and you know what happens is you get that idea especially in in countries you know in some places in nigeria where you know what is consent am i not the one I'm I'm the one that's consent. I'm not the head of the household. Like you still get that toxic, that toxic masculinity that comes into place and, and it really adds and into the negative, um, just the negative treatment of black women and the, and the victim blaming like that whole idea of, yeah. oh, it, it, you know, cause the culture also then leads you and it's not just African culture, but just worldwide black culture that, the, the the constant objectif- objectifying of black women and abuse of them have led to the point where there's no way that it was their fault. The first thing that they automatically think that it was something that they did, and right, why. and that's un- that's totally unfair and unjust in its own right. That you have to be able to there had to have been something that you did wrong in order for you to be abused. Because you right. as a black woman are are just not necessarily entitled to any level of power for you to be right. able to not have for it to not automatically be that person's fault. Like you don't have the power to blame that person because you never had the power in the ju- in the first place. It just blows my mind and it gets me upset. Someone who has exactly. a daughter, you know, you have a daughter and you know, I'm just thinking about all those things and those things matter, you know what I mean? And but but um yeah, no, those that's real and, and definitely appreciate and, and commend the work that you are doing. Um, for those girls in those in that particular place because it matters when you have a bus driver is like if i sleep with my wife is that no like no sir (laughs) like you still even if she's your wife like you still need to make sure that both parties are and that's something they don't get right because then but but listen (laughs) go ahead i'm sorry yeah no i said you just what you just said is so important and that's why i feel (laughs) we don't that's why i feel knowledge is very important and that's why i say it's not necessarily about the, the college degree. I mean, yes, it can be used to, you know, help you get a job and things like that. But at the end of the day, there are so many people who have college degrees that don't know about this. This they don't they don't have these kinds of discussions. They they're not they don't they're not aware of what consent is. So that's right. why we focus more about, um, you know, equipping them with knowledge for everyday life. Not not. Um, not more so, oh, go to school, go to school, go to school. Yes, we do push that. We do want you to get a college degree and things like that. However, we want you to have, we want you to have the knowledge to deal with everyday problems. And we're just not, it's not more so, you know, telling girls about this. It's also about educating men too, as well, because it shouldn't, the full responsibility shouldn't be placed on women. That's not fair. Exactly. Exactly. A hundred percent. So let's shift really quickly 
uh, as we are kind of wrapping up, I want to give you the opportunity to talk about what's currently happening for those who are listening. Uh, recent events in around this time period in which we're recording um, is around the NSARS protest that's currently happening in Nigeria that led to the um, the infamous Black Tuesday that wasn't that long ago, where the Lekki Gate massacre, Tollgate massacre, um, and mm -hmm. everything that's going on there. I want to just here if you have any thoughts about you know that entire you know just experience as far as the protests and everything that goes with it what are your thoughts about how things are going back in our homeland um i don't even know where to begin i begin anywhere <laughs> i think it's it's i mean it's crazy but it, it has to it has to happen this way unfortunately Unfortunately, but unfortunately, you know, mm -hmm. it, it's really sad that it took all of this for um, people to wake up in the sense uh, in the sense that there are people who are walking the streets in Nigeria and they don't even feel safe. You see a police mm -hmm. officer and, you know, we're taught to respect law enforcement and things like that. But you can't even walk from point A to point B without worrying about whether you're going to have to be you're going to be stopped by a, a cop. And, you know, some of them, they were even bold enough to take people by gunpoint to the ATM and, you know, have them withdraw money and give to them. And the, there's so many, there's so many different layers to this NSARS protest because not only are police oppressing the people, but they're not, sometimes I wonder if, if, if we had good governance, would this really be happening? Yeah. If they were paying the police officers what they're supposed to be paying them, yeah. would they, would they not feel compelled to, you know, start abusing their power and, you know, terrorizing people like that? Mm. Um, how does, like, why does this thing keep happening, even though when people report it? How come nothing was done before? What are people in the higher-ups doing? And, you know, people think, oh, they're just, you know, protesting for ending police brutality. It's also to, you know, promote good governance in the country because, the I mean, let's face it, the, the way things are going right now in the Nigerian government, not to say that, you know, all governments in the world are perfect, but the fact that people are lacking basic necessities such as electricity, light, like electricity, food, water, a job, um, things like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's people with college degrees and they're still out, you know, driving KK on the street. Yeah. How does that even make sense? So the question now is how, what has, what has led up? How did we end up here? And I say this to say it's it's crazy because I saw a post on Instagram and they were talking about um, the the salary that some of these governors get and yeah. the perks that they get. Some of them can have up to six cars. They can have a house in Abuja and in their home state. They can be flown abroad for medical treatment yeah. if they need to and the government will pay for it. Um, all of these things. And it just drives me nuts sometimes because as somebody who does um, work in the NGO sector, it's, it's as if sometimes I feel like I'm being punched in the face and mm. I'm being told, oh, what you're doing is stupid because I'm here giving back to the community. And sometimes I'm like, I wouldn't have to do this if people would just um, be held accountable and do their job. Right. We wouldn't have to. We wouldn't have to be doing this whole NSARS protesting if people would just do what they're supposed to do. I don't think I could have said it any better. If people just did their jobs, <laughs> like if you governed, <laughs> if you governed the people that you said you were going to govern and provide for, then we would not have to have external factors and external forces and and parties, I should say, come in and contribute and be the main source of care and support for people. Why is it that in a country so rich? and filled with resources right. and money that you're still depending on outsiders and not necessarily i mean in your case you're not because your people you're, you're you're inherently from there but i'm just talking about in general other ngos and, and you know doctors without borders and things like that and they're coming right. in and they're the primary source of relief that's, that's, that's the problem it's, it's just crazy that's because even i remember um when we did the the covid19 outreach and the people in the village, they were, I mean, if you see, if, if you watch the recap video, the, the, the thank you messages they were giving us, they were so, they were beyond grateful. I mean, mm. like they were in awe that we gave them so much food. 
Um, I heard that two weeks prior or some days prior, I can't remember the exact time, but prior before we came, the govern the governor or the government or I don't know who who was in charge of this one. But they basically, they said that they were donating, giving out food to the communities. And people were literally fighting over a cup of rice, a mm. cup of beans. What is that going to do for them? <laughs> I mean, like, and I'm pretty sure they dashed out more food than that. But the question is, did it actually get to the people, um, you know, who needed it and things like that? So, it's, so it, it, I just, I said, wow. So if we didn't do that outreach, what would have happened to those people? Yeah. What, what would have happened to them? Yeah. But in the same breath, I guarantee you, even in the same, it can be, it can be in that same week, you hear that a governor is throwing a party, right? And then when you, when a governor right. is throwing a party, you see that governor, you see all the food, all the, all the things that are wasted. You got, you got people who are riding Lamborghinis, and you have like seven cars. <laughs> but yet, yet, Meckham, like Meckham, you have like seven cars. You have Lamborghinis and all these. Porsches and all these things, but the road in Nigeria is not even. It's so bad. Does it make sense? Like I just, I'm like, how do you even? This so exactly, what are you doing this for? You're buying all these flashy cars, but the road to even drive these cars are not even developed well enough for you to even use these cars properly. So that means that you're only doing this so you can show people that you can do it. And all of a sudden, that money that you're supposed to be using to take care of your people, you're using it to take care of yourself. And yeah, so again, going back to what you said. Do your job so that the young people don't have to grow up and show you how to really do your job. But right. that's and that's the shame. That's the shame that's coming. But you're right. This is necessary. It's an unfortunate, fortunate event, I should say, um, because we definitely need the change and the change needs to happen. So my last question to you as we wrap up here, I always try to ask people and, and guess these questions um, just for us to kind of get a final statement from you. I, I want to know how... In your in your own words, how would you describe what your experience as a Nigerian American, um, you know, a transnational, as far as having this connection to your American upbringing, but also your African roots? Like, how has that helped shape and identify? I mean, shape and just how you identify yourself and how you kind of move and your perceptions towards the world. Um, that's a great question. I love that question. Um, I think it has. It has really forced me to open my eyes and not um, take things at surface value. I base not saying that I don't believe everything that I see, but um, you know how they say, "Oh, they just they they just package well." Like mm-hmm. I I try to look past all of that and I really try to ask questions and see what's in there before I get involved, before I judge anything or say anything. I always try to know the full story because. Um, even like, you know how they say, oh, Nigeria is corrupt, Nigeria is corrupt, but Nigeria is not the only, Nigeria is not the only place that deals with corruption. Mm-hmm. A lot of these countries, they, they, if you really look at it, mm. most of these countries, they do the same thing. They just package it differently. Mm. So it, it's presented differently. I mean, let's talk about, if you want to talk about health insurance in Oof. America, like, let's what is there. that? <laughs> let's go there. Yeah. What's that? Yeah. <laughs> so... I mean, I think it has just really, you know, it's really prompted me to ask questions, um, do my research well, and just be more, be um, be empathetic, put myself in other people's shoes. Because, you know, even though it's not me and I have, you know, I'm more privileged, one day it could be me, it could be somebody I know that could be in a worse situation. Um, and, you know, it's taught me to use what I have to help other people. I mean... If you're if you're um, if you're at the top and you don't bring anybody with you, does that? I mean, how do you? I just I don't think that makes sense. I feel like we're all in different places so that we can uplift other people. So I always just try to do that every chance I get. It's hard, but um, that's that's just what I try to do. That is a great way to end this conversation, um, Ms. Mekom Udosim. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. This was awesome. And and, and is there any way, before I forget, is there any way that people can follow you on social media if they want to connect or know more about you and your organization or just learn a little bit more about BBO people and and things of that nature? 
Yes, yes. Follow Ivanishiak on Instagram, I-B-A-N-I-F-I-O-K. And then you can also follow me on Instagram, too. Um, my name's kind of long, but Makamabasi, <laughs> M-M-E-K-O-M-A-B-A-S-I on Instagram. That's where I usually am. I'm pretty sure if they put in like the first five letters, they'll find Yeah, it. if you put in the first five <laughs> letters. But honestly, I used to feel really bad about having a long name, but I don't even care anymore. You I mean, shouldn't. we can pronounce all of these other people's names. So people need to learn how to pronounce mine. Fam, at this point. fam let's be real. <laughs> like, let's be real. Exactly. You can pronounce like Jervinsky and Verskreisky. And I'm like, exactly. oh, for real. Like, you know how to pronounce the longest name in Scandinavia, but you cannot pronounce this. Okay. I know. It's so crazy. Uh, yeah, noted. Okay, but yes, awesome, awesome, awesome. So yes, please make sure to follow her on the on Instagram. Um, great follow and doing a lot of great things. Um, Michael, again, thank you so much. Very glad that you were able to take the time to be able to do this. And I'm looking forward to all the great things that you will be doing moving forward. As you know, we work with the COVID-19 study with Dr. Okoro, but if there's anything that I can do, we can do in my Black is Transnational to continue to help you and your organization just reach your goals. Or even when it comes to pursuing you know, medicine and, and being a physician, uh, we want you to reach your goals and help in whatever way we can. We are here to support you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was awesome. I love this platform. Awesome. <laughs> You're awesome. doing great work. Thank you. Thank you so much. And you have a good one. All right, you too. Bye-bye. So that's going to do it for this episode of My Black is Transnational. I'd like to thank Ms. Udosin for taking the time to speak with us and share her experiences and her passion with us. We wish you nothing but the best and more success in all that you do. Um, for those who do not know, who may not have been aware, which I probably didn't share, Ms. Udosin is also part of our research team working on a really, really interesting project on COVID-19 and African immigrants, which we'll be very excited to share with you all in the near future. Um, so Mecham, thank you for all that you do in your personal work and also for what you do on our research team. Um, but if you like what you heard, you can download this podcast on any of your favorite podcast listening apps. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Instagram at Black Transnational podcast follow me the host at black transnational underscore and please be sure to check out our website at www.blacktransnational.wixsite.com slash podcast so if you like what you heard please rate and review and subscribe the podcast we always appreciate your feedback but until then until next time please take care of yourselves have a happy holiday season as we continue a happy start to your holiday season until we speak again, my name is Dr. Kalechi Bay Lambert. My black is transnational. And I hope by the end of this, yours will be too. Peace.